episode 92 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about price gouging. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as price gouging, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, socialism, secession, or abortion comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and most recently, ThinkSpot. The video versions of the podcast are available on YouTube, bitshoot.com, and brighteon.com. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook and Twitter advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more information on that. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. I am recording this episode in late March 2020. The world is in various levels of lockdown over the coronavirus. My wife and I were discussing the toilet paper shortage, which is still a little mystifying since the coronavirus has no impact on the gastrointestinal system. Needless to say, $8 for a pack of Charmin at the local grocery store was enough to anger my wife. I tried to explain to her what I'm going to explain to you here. Full disclosure, she was not convinced. Hopefully, you will be after listening. We are all familiar with stories of so-called price gouging after natural disasters where greedy merchants raise the price of gasoline, water, flashlights, batteries, plywood, chainsaws, and the like. As we live through the coronavirus crisis, not only do we find toilet paper scarce, but cleaning supplies, meat, canned goods, and hand sanitizer. As a matter of fact, as the crisis unfolded in China, one enterprising man in Tennessee bought 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer, and he started selling them on Amazon for astronomical prices before Amazon shut his account down and the Tennessee authorities threatened to arrest him. I think he ended up donating the bottles to a healthcare company or something like that. Needless to say, the conversation with my wife and the coronavirus craziness was enough to prompt me to publish this episode and try to get to the truth about price gouging. Before we talk about price gouging, we need to cover some basic economic principles. First of all, what is a price? Well, it's a signal. As economist Bob Murphy explains, quote, market prices act as signals to allow humans to communicate valuable information with each other, end quote. And as we will discuss shortly, manipulating that price, as idiot politicians are apt to do with price controls and price gouging laws, sends the wrong signals to the market. Sandra Klein, writing for Mises.org, says, quote, prices act as signals to both buyers and sellers. A goods increased scarcity is reflected in a higher price, and a decreased scarcity or abundance is reflected in a lower price. She goes on to say, Murray Rothbard pointed out that in free, unfettered markets, there is no such thing as a shortage or surplus because prices rise and fall so that markets clear, end quote. We'll look at this concept more deeply later. That is the idea that if prices are left alone, we would rarely experience shortages. Higher prices caused by lower supply and or higher demand send signals to people to economize and conserve and incentivizes entrepreneurs to increase supply of the highly priced goods. So back to the idea of price controls. They send the wrong signals to the market and therefore influence bad consumer behavior such as buying up all the toilet paper or hand sanitizer at their local Walmart. 
John Sosso puts it this way, quote, prices should rise during emergencies. That's because prices aren't just money. They are signals, information. They tell suppliers what their customers want most, end quote. Well, what about price fluctuations? In his classic book, Basic Economics, Thomas Sowell explains how prices rise and fall in a free market this way, quote, prices rise because the amount demanded exceeds the amount supplied at existing prices, or a shortage. He goes on, prices fall because the amount supplied exceeds the amount demanded at existing prices, a surplus. So I want you to notice the three words, at existing prices. Please remember those as we move forward through this episode. It's very important. Here's an example I heard or read while preparing this episode's content that demonstrates Soul's point. You go to your local butcher. You ask for filet mignon. He says it's $20 a pound. By the way, I have no idea how much meat costs, so don't laugh. Anyway, you protest the butcher and say, That's outrageous. The store down the street is selling it for $10 a pound. The butcher, of course, says, Well, maybe you should go over there and buy some. And your reply is, I would, but they don't have any. Now, why would that be? Because at the existing price of $10 a pound, the market experienced a shortage. But at $20, there was still filet mignon available. So with some basic economics out of the way, let's dive into the topic at hand, price gouging. What is it? Well, it's always loosely defined. Typically, it sounds something like this. The raising of prices on certain kinds of goods to an unfair or an excessively high level during an emergency. The states of Florida, Alabama, and Maine forbid selling at, quote, unconscionable prices. Idaho and Texas ban sales at an exorbitant or excessive price. New York combines all three, unconscionably excessive price. New York Attorney General Latina James once told NPR, you know it, that is price gouging, you know it when you see it. Sounds like the Supreme Court's definition of pornography. I assume most of you are asking the same question I'm, I'm about to ask. Who defines unfair and excessive? Sounds a lot like the liberal cry that the rich don't pay their fair share. What is fair? They are never forced to answer that question. Daniel J. Mitchell said this, quote, Price gouging is no fun if you need to buy supplies in an emergency, but a free market is better than the alternative of government controls that lead to shortages, black markets, and hoarding, end quote. What politicians and my wife call gouging is just good old-fashioned supply and demand. Now, since buyers outnumber sellers, politicians are more than willing to pander to the majority and pass laws to restrict the minority. There are more votes to gain on the buy side of the equation than there are on the sell side. It's no different than the demonization of the rich. After all, there are more voters who do not consider themselves rich than there are the so-called rich, so politicians pander to them. Unfortunately for politicians, they do not have a magic wand that, by waving it, cancel the laws of economics. The law of supply and demand is no different than the law of gravity. The only reason price gouging occurs is due to some unforeseen occurrence that disrupts supply or demand. Usually, demand skyrockets and the supply is limited. That means there isn't enough stuff to go around. If the authorities make raising prices to a higher than normal level an illegal act, how are these so-called authorities fixing the supply problem? 
And what are they actually doing to make sure that the citizens in which they are supposed to serve are getting the items they need? They aren't. The only thing they do is destroy the incentive to conserve, and they destroy the incentive for others to increase supply in order to take advantage of the exorbitant prices. That's the truth about price gouging. What about the morality of price gouging? Is it immoral to jack up the price of a hot item during a crisis? Most of you would answer yes. I leaned in that direction too, but after prepping the content for this episode, I'm of the opinion that price gouging is neither. It's amoral. In other words, discussing morality in the context of price gouging does nothing to advance the debate. What if I argued that those who charge a higher price despite popular outrage deserve a medal? Additionally, what if I argued that they are saving lives by ensuring people only purchase what they need to survive during a disaster? Without what most consider bad actors in the market charging $10 for a case of water or $40 for hand sanitizer or $12 for a gallon of gas or $500 for a chainsaw, how would fellow entrepreneurs and suppliers know about the increased demand and jump into action with additional shipments of water, hand sanitizer, gas, and chainsaws to the impacted areas? If prices stayed at the pre-crisis level, who is going to go through the trouble of bringing in new supply? We will go deeper into the supply side shortly. So I ask you, what is moral about price controls that limit supply in an affected area? Or what is moral about leaving prices where they are during a crisis and watching people buy way more product than they need, leaving none for everyone else? Would you rather have toilet paper at a temporarily inflated price or no toilet paper, no hand sanitizer, no chainsaws, generators, flashlights, batteries, ground beef, beer, and wine? Is first come, first serve, take as much as you want and leave nothing for anyone else moral? Or is it moral for sellers to raise the price to limit the purchases of those who really don't value the item as much as someone else? So while it seems cruel and immoral to charge customers more during a crisis, to Murray Rothbard's point I mentioned earlier, when there are no laws against the sharp price increases, people don't experience long lines, and there rarely are shortages. T.J. Roberts, writing for Mises.org, put it this way, quote, By increasing prices, store managers are making sure that people only buy what they find to be necessary so that they do not run out of goods. This allows for a greater distribution of essential goods, end quote. It's no different than what is going on with the coronavirus hysteria. Unfortunately, Amazon, eBay, and Facebook are worried about accusations of profiteering, and they're cracking down on resellers. The companies remove listings for masks, hand sanitizer, and disinfectant. This will only cause more shortages. Bigger profit was what encouraged people to sell online. Now no one gets those products until the market returns to normal. So the $400 hand sanitizer goes unsold to someone who values it that highly. Does that even make sense? It's a voluntary exchange. It's not like the seller on Amazon is putting a gun to a consumer's head and saying, buy my shit or I pull the trigger. At least there will be hand sanitizer in the marketplace. I can hear the groans coming from some of you. Well, what about poor people? The rich can pay whatever price there is, but the poor are screwed during a crisis. Well, there have been a few studies done on this claim, and the truth is that the poor don't get screwed. Prices affect rich people just as much as the poor. Higher priced diapers, baby formula, ground beef, hand sanitizer impact the buying behavior of the rich just as much as the poor. They don't have an endless supply of money. The so-called rich have rich people expenses to pay that the poor do not. 
Fancy cars, big mortgages, private school, second home, personal trainer, golf clubs, country club memberships, stake of the month club, etc. Plus, because they are rich, it's likely that they have extra stuff already purchased, so when a crisis hits, they aren't standing in line at Costco to buy toilet paper. Everyone gets screwed during a crisis, with the exception of maybe one group, savers. You know what your mama and Dave Ramsey always told you? You need to save for a rainy day. Well, they really should have said, you need to save for a natural disaster or a worldwide pandemic, but their point was still sound. So the seller lines their pockets with some money during a crisis. Who cares? Maybe some of them are greedy. Again, why do you care? By raising the prices, they are maybe unbeknownst to them injecting morality into the system, allowing those who really need and value the item to be able to obtain it. After Hurricane Katrina, a guy from another state bought 19 generators, drove 600 miles to Mississippi, and tried to sell them for twice the price he paid for them, providing the people of Mississippi with much-needed electricity that was out statewide for several weeks. What did he get for his troubles? County jail. Where did his generators end up? In the evidence locker. How stupid is that? Art Cardin, an economics professor at Samford University, explains why anti-gouging laws backfire on consumers. He said, You've seen the pictures on your social media feeds. Empty shelves across America. Panic buying. Hoarding. This is exactly what the supply and demand model we teach in introductory economics courses predicts when we actively prevent the free market from functioning. The shelves are empty because governments aren't letting prices change to reflect new market conditions. Price gougers get tarred as villains, while it's actually the politicians who are making the problem worse by interfering with prices. The fact remains that we get a lot more hand sanitizer, toilet paper, and other supplies when we make room for people who are just in it for the money. You may not like their motivations, but they're doing something your state's governor and attorney general aren't doing. Namely, they're getting valuable emergency supplies into your hands. So let's touch on two distinguishable benefits to so-called price gouging. One, it tends to increase supply, and two, it encourages conservation. I love so-called price gouging because when someone charges $10 for a case of bottled water or $500 for a $250 chainsaw, more bottled water and more chainsaws will be shipped to that area. However, when government imposes price controls, guess what happens to supply? It's fixed. And when supply is fixed and demand is high, you get shortages. Shortages lead to civil unrest and possibly illegal activities like a black market or stealing. You know, two things the government should be vested in stopping. If they let the market price the goods, you will inevitably get more supply. If you hold the price of bottled water down, there's no incentive for anyone to bring more supply into the affected area. With rising prices, people in neighboring regions will see the high price of items next door and figure out a way to bring those items into the region and get paid. But here's the beautiful thing. As more and more people get paid, meaning they are bringing in more supply, prices will go down and will normalize. Think about gasoline companies. They would figure out a way to ship extra gas into regions in order to get the inflated price. With no price manipulation, prior to the hurricane, gas companies would have shipped in more gasoline in order to take advantage of the temporary spike in price. Speaking about the gentleman who tried to sell generators in Mississippi but got arrested, John Stossel said this, quote, Who will bring supplies to a disaster area if it's illegal to make extra profit? 
It's risky to invest in 19 generators, leave home, rent a U-Haul, and drive 600 miles. If prices don't shoot up during disasters, consumers hoard. We rush to gas stations to top off our tanks. Stores run out of batteries because early consumers stock up. Later arrivals may get nothing, end quote. If a grocery store merchant knows he can bring in extra cases of water or flashlights prior to a hurricane and be able to charge more than normal without the authorities writing him a citation, he will incur the risk and expense of procuring the extra supply. He has the risk that the storm does not hit or the crisis is not as bad as everyone thought and or the public doesn't buy up his extra inventory. The merchants risk losing money. The merchants risk staying open during dangerous times. If he cannot be compensated for that risk, he is less likely to stock up and less likely to stay open. One solution that my wife offered was to limit the purchases to one at regular price and then any subsequent purchases at 20% or 50% higher. Not a bad compromise. However, what is the unseen or unknown downstream impact? By applying an artificial cap, a price control on that second purchase, you don't know what impact you have on someone willing to load up a truck full of water generators or plywood into a region outside the devastated area and bringing them in. Their break-even point might have been 25%, and since the price control is 20%, it isn't worth the effort. So who loses? However, the more I thought about it, the more I researched the topic, I kept coming across an objection to this compromise solution that I could not shake. The objection being that this only limits a single transaction. Someone looking to hoard a product, toilet paper, flashlights, bottled water, whatever it is, simply has to do it in multiple transactions. Grab a few buddies and hit all the area stores to buy up the entire supply. That problem is alleviated if the price is exorbitantly high. At some point, our merry band of hoarders will say, Hell no, I ain't paying $10 for five rolls of toilet paper. I'll never be able to unload it on the black market for a profit. The free market has an answer to virtually every objection. The windfall profits that politicians so often demonize are wonderful things because the rising prices of a particular good will cause more supply to flow into the affected area. But it also raises the price in unaffected areas, where the consumer begs off of lower-valued endeavors due to the high price. This is the example from Walter E. Williams. See the show notes page for a speech he gave to Hillsdale College in 2007. He talked about a hurricane that hits Florida. Plywood prices go through the roof due to low supply and high demand. Plywood destined for other regions gets diverted to Florida because of the profit motive. Meanwhile, back in Atlanta, your average Joe goes to Home Depot to buy some plywood for a home improvement project. Prices have obviously jumped due to what was going on in Florida, and Joe delays his project. That's a good thing for society as a whole because Joe did not value the plywood as much as the people in Florida. The other benefit to so-called price gouging is it encourages conservation and planning ahead. I've already touched on this briefly, but let me put some meat on the argument. What happens to the price of umbrellas in the middle of a rainstorm? They go up. What does that cause? It causes a family of five to buy two umbrellas instead of five, leaving some for others. If the price did not move up, we are left with first come, first serve. If you punish hotels for raising prices, then instead of people doubling and tripling up inside the rooms, they will get one for them and one for their kids, and the supply gets eaten up. Gas lines after a storm or natural disaster are caused by government intervention price controls. Instead of allowing the price to rise to a market-clearing price, it causes a shortage. 
If the price manipulation had not occurred, there would have been no gas lines because demand would decrease as the price rose to, say, 9 or $10 a gallon. The rising prices would take care of greed and the desire to hoard. The rising prices will give the proper incentive to ration and conserve their consumption. Otherwise, it would be first come, first serve, hoarder's paradise. If you have half a tank of gas the day after a storm or plenty of toilet paper during the coronavirus scare, then you don't feel compelled to run out and buy gas at $11 a gallon or $20 toilet paper, leaving both for others who actually need it. Those people will conserve what they have until the crisis ends or supplies are replenished. The guy running on fumes needs the gas. The guy with no toilet paper needs it. So there will be no shortage of overpriced gas or overpriced toilet paper. You need a generator to run your refrigerator during a powder outage caused by a natural disaster because you have medication in the refrigerator. Someone has a generator that sells retail for $500. He, has, he offers it to you for $1,500. Seems outrageous, doesn't it? Clearly, the seller is engaging in price gouging, but what if he did sell it for $500 or $600? Bucks? Then someone else would have bought it who might not have needed it or valued it as much as you did, so you're shit out of luck. You valued the generator at more than $1,500 because the medication in your refrigerator costs $2,500 or five grand. If you can't run out and buy D batteries or flashlights at the regular price as a storm approaches, you will store them up and plan ahead. The potential windfall motive will also encourage shopkeepers to bring in extra. Again, Sandra Klein from Mises put it this way, quote, In most states, once the state of emergency is declared, anti-price gouging laws go into effect, and the prices of necessities are essentially frozen. The tender-hearted among us may cheer this action, rejoicing that the poor or those on fixed income are still able to get the things they need during the crisis. But with a closer examination, we see that the exact opposite is true. Because without a higher price, there will be no toilet paper left at all. During a time of crisis, it's only rising prices for necessities that keeps them available for the masses. So let's tie a bow on this topic. Bob Murphy explains that high prices induce owners to carry goods forward in time. He illustrates his point with a hypothetical story. In the current legal environment, with prohibitions against gouging, a Houston store owner sitting on a few pallets of bottled water would probably just unload them on day one and leave town because there would be nothing else for him to do. However, if the authorities and the public didn't condemn owners for charging the true market price, such a person might reason, well, right now the bottled water is selling for $10 per case. But if the rain doesn't stop and it takes longer than people expect for the streets to clear, it's entirely possible that I could hold back 50 of my remaining cases in the back storeroom and then sell them for 50 bucks each in a few days. The prospects of getting an extra $2,000 totally makes it worthwhile for the merchant to sleep at the store for a few days rather than leaving Houston. This type of analysis shows that we want high prices not simply to tell businesses in Arkansas that they should sell some of their bottled water in Houston rather than unloading it in Little Rock, but also to tell businesses in Houston that they should sell some of their bottled water on day five after the hurricane rather than unloading all of it on day one. You want $10 a gallon gas the day or week after a hurricane so people with half a tank will hold off their purchase and the people running on fumes will have the ability to get gas, albeit at 10 bucks a gallon, and would severely conserve their purchases, leaving more for others who are equally desperate. The market self-corrects. So I can hear some of you making the distinction between a regional crisis where supplies from other regions can be brought in to the price gouge areas 
versus an expansive crisis like coronavirus. I mean, after all, there's no toilet paper in Charlotte, Knoxville, or Topeka. That's a valid point, one that I do not want to ignore, but I want to answer it in the form of a question. Would you rather have overpriced toilet paper, hand sanitizer, ground beef, batteries, flashlights, or generators, or no toilet paper, hand sanitizer, ground beef, batteries, flashlights, and generators? Remember, the only reason price gouging occurs is due to some unforeseen occurrence that disrupts supply and demand. Usually demand skyrockets and the supply is limited. That means there isn't enough stuff to go around. If the authorities make raising prices to a higher than normal level an illegal act, how are these so-called authorities fixing the supply problem? How are they helping their constituents? They aren't. They destroy the incentive to conserve and for others to increase supply in order to take advantage of the exorbitant prices. And they reinforce the perceived need to hoard. That's the truth about price gouging. Price controls are political pandering, and it's dangerous because it always leads to unnecessary shortages. J.D. Tussle of Reason put it this way, Price gouging laws, by contrast, falsely tell the public that politicians are watching out for them even as they extend shortages and the resulting pain. Crises like COVID-19 pandemic come and go, but price gouging laws demonstrate that intrusive politicians are a recurring plague, end quote. At the end of the day, why the hell are you getting angry at the merchant who has supplies you need? You are supposedly in a crisis situation and Lowe's, Home Depot, or your local grocery store has the plywood, generators, toilet paper, ground beef, and water that you need, albeit at a price higher than you would expect. But you can't see the forest through the trees. You have the goods you need. Don't bitch at them or about them. Don't accuse them of price gouging. Be grateful that they are there in your time of need. If you are looking for an easy-to-read reference guide to have on your desk or bookshelf that covers many of the topics tackled here on the TruthQuest podcast, grab a copy of my book, Critical Thinking, spelled with a P like Paul. The subtitle is The Lost Art of Critical Thinking and Common Sense in Politics and Public Policy. In it, I tackle dozens of public policy issues from a pragmatic and logical perspective. It's available on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more information. And as always, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.